Welcome to the Refuge Podcast, where we cultivate our faith in the shelter of God's word. I'm your host, Jennifer Elwood. We've come to our last interview episode for this peace-focused podcast season, and I am beyond ecstatic for you to get to know my two guests, Lynn Cowell and Amy Carroll. If you follow along with Proverbs 31 Ministries, you've read their words and heard their voices. They have both been writing and speaking for the last several years with that organization, and I had the joy of connecting with both of them when I led their launch team for the new Bible study that they wrote, Esther, Seeing Our Invisible God in an Uncertain World. As I've considered the story of Esther over the past several years, I realized this isn't told in the likeness of a Disney princess story, though we could be tempted to read it that way. As I've studied the Bible with more of an understanding of Hebraic Middle Eastern culture, that this story in its low point is much darker than I ever realized. And this frames the happy ending of Esther in a different way. And I think Amy and Lynn have adopted more of this perspective as well. So listen in, and I hope you come away with a fresh perspective on the great queen of scripture, Esther. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Refuge Podcast. And I am so excited to introduce you to two ladies that I can actually feel like I can call friend now. This is Amy Carroll and Lynn Powell. And, you know, I actually met both of these ladies first just through reading devotionals from Proverbs 31. And this last year connected with Amy through asking for coaching for speaking. And then at the same time was like, oh, she's doing a manuscript development team for an Esther Bible study. Oh, I want to do that. And so then got to know Lynn a little bit more. And then I volunteered and led their online launch team for the Esther study when it was actually published this last July. And it is beautiful. And Thank you. We love it too. Oh, good. <laughs> and so we are here to talk about that. So uh, we're going to start out with talking about relationship with Esther. The book from the Bible has had so much ink spilled. So much of it is good. Some of it I feel like is a little on the more misdirected side. And so um, what prompted you guys to write this Bible study and um, how did your perspective change on Esther as you worked your way through? Well, Amy had been going through a process in her relationship with the Lord where he had been teaching her new things about the way um, to handle uncertainty, how to handle things in life that um, she didn't quite understand. And as we are friends, um, she was sharing those things with me. And um, I, that particular year was also reading through the Bible in a year. And the process that Amy explained to me and began to share um, through her channels was listen, feel, do, speak. And when I came to the book of Esther in my daily Bible reading, I began to see that this process that Amy had been explaining to me was the process that Esther went through as she faced her own uncertainty. I saw in her life how when she did listen and felt and did and spoke. And, um, and so 
as I shared that with Amy, um, you know, we both just got so excited to see that this was a biblical process. And in fact, as I continued to read through the Bible that year, it was not uncommon for me to send her a message and say, I found another one, another example of, of, um, you know, a biblical character following these steps. And so as, um, as we began to, you know, talk more and more about Esther and, and partnered together to write this Bible study, one of the things about my perspective of Esther is I'm just going to be honest and say, I really wasn't a fan. Um, so anybody who knows me knows that I am not a girly girl. In fact, as I'm looking through my screen here, I've got my pictures of the mountains back here in my office, and um, I'm more comfortable any day in a pair of um, Levi's and hiking boots than anything else. And somehow, you know, my perspective of Esther had been the tiara and the tutu, and, and it just didn't connect with me. But as I began to really study her story, I saw her in such a different light. I saw a woman who was time and time again in this story put into circumstances that were completely outside of her control. Um, uncertainty was the narrative of her life. And each and every time I, I saw how she partnered with God um, and walked out obedience, what obedience looked like, and then left that outcome to God. And so, you know, by the time we were writing this, I've become a big fan of Esther. I just love that. I, I know, I, I think before I started studying the Bible in Hebraic context, I felt the same way about Esther and then starting to celebrate Purim and celebrating these holidays that are centered on her story and, you know, the God in her story just really opened my mind up and changed my whole perspective. So when I saw that you guys were doing this, I was like, oh, I am ready for something new. And so, um, Amy, did you have something to share about that as well? Well, I mean, my perspective really changed too. And I felt just like Glenn. I mean, when she came to me and she, she had had this opportunity that had been given to her to write another Bible study. And meanwhile, we had seen this process in Esther and she's like, what do you think? Should we write one? And just recently I had somebody say like, what made you want to write some more about Esther? And that is such a legitimate question, isn't it? Because gosh, there's lots out there about Esther. But I think the thing that as we studied stunned me was what I had been taught in church, which was very little. And even in Sunday school on the belt board um, was not Esther's full story. And it had her story, I think, in the Christian church in general is really watered down almost to the extent that it's powerless. And yet, as we dug into it, it is an extremely powerful story. Absolutely. I feel like um when you look at it from a Western perspective, Esther loses so much because we're looking at it from what we don't understand, you know, the culture of that time. We didn't know what King Xerxes was like. We didn't know what like this, that kind of culture is so different from what we experience, especially in the West, that it's really hard to understand. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this, but like, realizing that like Esther wasn't just like some little beauty person like 
being picked up in a little cart and everyone's excited and jumping up and down because they're getting to go meet the king. I mean, they're they're being brought for a one chance and then they're going to become a concubine, right? Mm-hmm. Like and a- le- okay, not to be too titillating here on your podcast, but when we say one chance, it was yeah. one night with the right. king, not right. one afternoon with tea and crumpets with the king, right? right? So we are talking specifically about a situation that was much more similar to human trafficking yes. than it is to the beauty contest, which we talk about it as. And listen, we mm-hmm. do this, we say these things to children, right? And it's appropriate to say them to children. Sure. I mean, it is not appropriate to talk about human trafficking to children, right? We want to protect them in some ways, but why do we continue doing it as adults? I think it's a really important question to ask ourselves. It was it was a question that a friend asked Lynn and I at the beginning as we were talking about the spiritual Cloroxing of our Bibles, like what? And then he said, and I've been pondering it still, like, why do we want to do that? And I think it's a question all your listeners should ask ourselves, why is it that we want to boil it all down to she's a hero or she's a villain? Mm. Um, why, why do we do that? And we particularly like to put our heroes up on pedestals and we see it even in today's culture that it's a dangerous thing to do. Absolutely. And I, I feel like um, the way that you lined up your Bible study really made it um, a lot easier to explore Esther in a new way. I mean, you you talk about, you begin, your first lesson is on motives, and then you talk about outcomes. But in the middle, you talk about this process that you've mentioned, the listen, feel, do, speak. And um and you talked about it a lot as you developed the manuscript. And um, I really took it to heart. And it's a process that I'm constantly like putting into practice. And uh, particularly when challenges come up, I'm finding that like being a parent of a teenager <laughs> going through some <laughs> stuff, like I am like living this out in my everyday life right now. And it is so helpful to have this framework. So And I think, Amy, you were the one that initially learned this process. So where did you learn this and how did you decide to apply it to Esther? Well, I had entered uh, some racial equity conversations about five years ago, and it is my temptation always to jump right in and have something to say. And my heart's in the right place. Y'all want to be part of the solution. And I think that's where lots of us are, whether it's in our social media spaces or around our dinner tables, that we want to be part of the solutions. And so we feel like we have to speak up. And God just really started speaking to me through some Bible study, but also through a bunch of conversations with friends. And he kind of unpacked this process for me to help me slow my role. And speaking is actually last in it. And as Lynn said, it's listen first, then feel like allow our feelings to be used as a connection to God and as a catalyst to righteous action. And then to do something practical, to step in and be part of the solution before you talk about being part of the solution. And then finally talking about it. And as Lynn says, she's seen it. She's, she's better at catching it than me, um, but she's seen it all through the Bible. And if you start looking for it, you will see it. Completely agree. Uh, Lynn, did you have anything to add to that? 
you know, I've never thought of this before, but as Amy was talking, I thought, you know, one of the reasons I think it's great to have this framework in the back of our mind is because there's something I think that happens in our brain that when we say something that we feel like we did something and that's not true. You know, just because we post something on social media, that's not the same as actually, you know, doing something to be part of, of a solution. Um, and so I think that, I think that going through these steps, um, help us to actually arrive at the place where we are actually part of the solution rather than just being, you know, more noise, um, about whatever the particular topic is. Yes. And I think sometimes we can get wrapped so wrapped up into the feeling, spend so much energy in the feeling that we, we get to the do and we get to the speak and we feel like we've already like done all of that because we've spent so much energy in the feel and then we don't, but we don't sit in the feel long enough after we've listened to follow up with a doing and a speaking that actually contributes in a life-giving way to the conversation than in a tearing down or, a, you know, just like flip remarks and sarcasm and all the negative stuff mm -hmm. that we tend to throw into, especially on social media, when you don't have someone's face just right in front of you to react in the moment. When, so true. Uh, yeah. So. It's always amazing when we see these ancient truths still be practical in our modern world, right? <laughs> but they really, oh, really are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, since this, since the season of my podcast is focused on peace, I thought I'd shift in our um, last few questions towards that direction. So when I use the word peace, I'm not just talking about like a flighty little bit of peace, but like a deep soul satisfying completeness in the living God, like shalom. And so I'd love to ask each of you to unfold one of the lessons you wrote and how um, that maybe have increased your peace as you considered seeing our invisible God in an uncertain world. So Lynn, I'm going to start with you and your week of uh, lessons on the topic of listen. So listening is like the stretching we should do before the heavy lifting tasks, but it's often a stuff that gets ignored, like we've just been talking about. And this is an area I'm always asking God to help me do better. And I would imagine this is a struggle for most people. So I have a kind of a two-part question. How did God increase your inner peace through Esther's example of listening? And how do you think her example of listening can help others experience greater peace? These are really great questions. Um, <laughs> a lot, sorry. You know, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> um, so I think that before doing this Bible study, I equated peace with understanding the how or the why behind the situation that was causing me to lack peace, or, or at least in that situation that I would have the feeling that God was moving and that the situation that I was so concerned about was going to work out you know, those cliches of just trust God or God's got you. Um, there's a reason that we say those, but, but flipping off those cliches doesn't create the peace within us. 
Um, and so what I saw in the life of, of Esther was a woman who was under a tremendous amount of pressure and not just once, but several times. And the first time is, is what we talked about to please a lustful King as a virgin who knew nothing about doing so. And so recognizing that she didn't know what she didn't know, she listened and she went to someone who, by the way, was very likely not a follow of Yahweh, but who she, it was someone that she needed and she listened to him and she humbled herself. Um, and so I've begun to see a, a correlation between humility and peace. So humility says, I'm listening to learn. I don't know what I need to know. Teach me. And then humbling myself now, I find sometimes can save me from humiliation later. Um, and so the, the piece about um, her example of listening and how that can give us greater peace, peace doesn't come from having all the answers. And I think that we think it does, you know, if I just know the answers, um, when in fact, the more that I allow uncertainty in my heart, um, that I was thinking of it today as kind of like allowing uncertainty to have a, a seat at my table. And the more that I get used to that, and the more I'm experiencing peace in my life, um, we say things like, you don't have to have all of the answers, but you know what? We don't, and we won't ever have all of the answers, but our all-knowing God, he's also the mysterious God, and he does have all of the answers. And so like this morning, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and uncertainty this morning. And in that, isn't that always the way it is, right? Like, okay, Lynn, you get to practice it this morning. And so, um, as I was on the verge of trying not to flip out about something this morning, I was taking deep breaths and I was just remembering God's faithfulness to me. And, and I began to just, you know, just pray and say, you know, Lord, I give you everything and I give you anything and I can't figure this out, but you can, and you will, and I trust you. And that's it. You know, the mystery part of how he's gonna, that's up to him. Um, but I can just calm down and have my ears open to listen while I'm in the middle of the uncertain thing, but I can experience his peace before the answer to that comes. Oh, that is so powerful. And I'm, I'm finding that as I dig more into rest and dig more into peace, that those things can come. And it's such a challenging thing because it's not what the world says. We kind of have to flip our expectations and, you know, back to you talking about how uncertainty can have a place at the table is also really powerful because like, I, I've actually spoken about this with my counselor before multiple times, probably every time we talk and she will like address an emotion that I'm feeling and say, you know, you don't have to throw that away. Mm -hmm. Taking thoughts captive doesn't mean getting rid of the stuff that you don't want. It's inviting it to the table, letting it have space. But then, you know, talking piece around it. And I think that that is just such a powerful thing and so important to remember that, that if we begin with listening and praying and, and taking things to the Lord, that it's so much easier to have peace within all of that, for sure. I have a question for you. Are you ready for Christmas? Well, maybe it seems a little early to be asking, but actually it's 
not. In order to cultivate peace in our hearts at Christmas time, we need to create space and invite Jesus into the process. And if you'd like a little bit of help with that and enjoy a community of women who feel the same way, check out the Count Up virtual event hosted by myself and my good friend, Angie Bauman. This free event will take place on November 1st to the 5th. The first four days will be filled with message curated to help us focus on Jesus, adjust expectations, consider our schedules, and infuse our minds in the word. And on Saturday the 5th, we'll be hosting a short live event with special keynote messages, worship, and giveaways. Check the show notes to sign up and get an early start to cultivating Christmas so, Amy, you get the next question, and I'm going to ask you about the lesson regarding feel, which came after the week that we focused on uh, listening. So this is such an important step as we move through life, and one I know I have trouble giving enough time to before I react and move into the do and speak step of things like we've talked about. And so often our feelings sweep through quickly and we can react hastily in a way that stamps peace out instead of allowing the time to fully process our feelings in a way that can increase peace. So similar two-part question, how did God increase your inner peace through the book of Esther's examples of feeling? And how do you think this example of feeling can help others experience greater peace? It's so interesting to me because, again, we're talking about Eastern and Western cultures. And one of the, the pieces of Esther that jumped off the page at me this time comes from Esther 4 1. And in, uh, it's in the, uh, the very first verse there. It says, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, and all that had been done was that the king, under the influence of an evil man, had issued an edict, which would mean the genocide of all the Jews, of which Mordecai and Esther were two of them. Um, and so when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. And if somebody in our community did that today, we would probably say things like, what a drama queen. I mean, you know, <laughs> you need to keep that a little under wraps. What in the world are you doing? And yet that was very traditional um, in that culture of that time. The, if you start doing a little word study of tearing clothes, it's fascinating. It's all through scripture. So they had, they really endorsed these outward outpourings of expressions of emotion and particularly grief. And so you start going, oh, maybe all this stoicism is more about our Puritan ancestors than it is about God's heart for us, right? So, um, so we, God, I think, wants us to express our emotions. And then Esther is a great example, too, because her response to Mordecai was to say, hey, Mordecai, don't forget, like, what you're asking me to do here it's going to potentially cost me my life. And so 
It doesn't, she doesn't have exactly the outward signs that Mordecai does, but for any of us, I think it's this indication she was really fearful and that fear led to resistance as it so often does in us. And so these are two human beings in a very uncertain, very difficult, even dangerous situation. It, it, their lives were literally at stake. And so sometimes I think we read our Bibles and we just, we just skim right over these people. There are heroes, they're on pedestals, surely they don't feel. They're human beings. Mm -hmm. Mordecai felt this deep grief, this anguish, probably also fear for his life. Esther has this fear for her life and um, these reservations about the other level, I think, is that she says, I haven't even seen my husband for 30 days. Okay, this was a woman married to a man who had access to hundreds of women literally his concubines they think he could have had even up to 400 concubines oh my imagine God. the insecurity of being a woman whose husband just had access to 400 women and you haven't seen him for 30 days so she's probably feeling insecure insecure and like does he still love me what does he still think of me and you know and so there's all of this mix of emotions and yet they step into obedience. How did they do that? And Esther, I believe she, she shows us, she models for us how we do that. She did two things. She asked for fasting and fasting here. It doesn't say prayer, but it's almost always paired with prayer. So we assume that prayer and fasting was what Esther did. And also she asked that Mordecai get the community to, to do it with her. So she, she leans into God for the plan instead of rushing forward into what, what she should do. And she asks for her community to join her in it. And I think those are two really beautiful steps that we can take when we are in the midst of all the feelings. And then the other thing, the other thing that this is kind of a, a life application is Years ago, when my oldest son went on his first youth retreat, we had a terrible tragedy at the youth retreat, and one of the kids died in an accident oh. at the retreat. It was horrible. And I remember in the aftermath of all of that, a, um, our church leadership wisely brought in a Christian counselor who said to us something I've never forgotten, which is, feel all your feelings and then lay them at the foot of the cross. So it's this thought, we don't rush past our feelings. We feel them and we surrender them to Jesus. I think I've always been afraid of wallowing. And I think a lot of Christians get there. Like we we're like, oh, we don't, we'll just push past that because we don't want to wallow. But, but pushing past does not bring us peace. It never does. What brings us peace is feeling the feelings and then sharing them with our empathetic savior at the foot of the cross. And, and he'll take care of not letting us wallow, but pushing past doesn't bring peace. It is only in feeling those feelings and surrendering them to Jesus that we find peace. Completely agree with you. I think that the temptation is to, um, you know, just to just brush all of these feelings off when we feel them. But I think that like, <laughs> you know, and I've also had counselors say to me, well, you know, you kind of have to pick your time, Jenny, because if you stuff it down now, it's probably going to come out when you're being triggered by something else. A hundred percent. 
Yeah. And so it's yeah. like, you want to feel like take some resting period, go out in nature, you know, spend some time with the Lord and feel your feelings and get the tears out or get, you know, or do you want to, um, completely break up in front of somebody when they're sharing something with you, it's triggering you and all the tears you didn't spill yet, you know, and then you're not really there for them. You're just like, all of a sudden it's about you and for um, sure. they're, they're good. There are better times to handle it. And, and so, um, I think that resting in our feelings helps also bring that sense of peace, which is such a beautiful example in Esther as well. So I have one last question for each of you. Um, what was your greatest aha moment as you experienced your study of Esther that increased your peace? You know, um, Amy talked a lot about it um, just in her last um, comment. I think for me, um, when, when I saw in her life and I began to practice in my life, that when I focus on obedience, and I leave the outcome to God, then I open the door for his peace. Um, and I think that in the past, I have not done that. I have, yes, focused on obedience, but then I was looking for the outcome. And if the outcome wasn't what I felt it was, then I must have obeyed wrong, or I must have messed it up somehow. Um, but that's not, that's not what the word promises us. The word doesn't always promise us that when we obey, it's going to turn out exactly the way that we are hoping for. And the way that Esther taught me this was, um, again, in this verse that Amy was talking about is Esther 2.16, when she says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So she's just saying, you know what? I'm going to do the things that I should do. I'm going to fast. And, and as Amy said, fasting and prayer, you know, usually go hand in hand. I'm going to reach out to my community for support and ask for the help I need. And then I'm going to do the hard thing, regardless of what the outcome is. Mm. Mm. So good. I got to bask in that for a minute too. It's so funny, Jenny. Like, I feel like we're getting some fresh words from Lynn today because I'm like, you know, <laughs> the more we soak in this, the more there is, you know, and these are such good, such good thoughts. Absolutely. Um, I know. I'm like, it's so cool. I'm like, you guys could write like Esther part two, just about right. <laughs> like in another few years after yes. absorbing and soaking in all this great stuff. Like, it's just, um, it's just beautiful. Um, and so Amy, how about you? What was your greatest aha moment? You know, the, the key phrase, right. That we hear from Esther all the time is for such, maybe you are brought to the palace for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. And it is a beautiful phrase and people love it on mugs and t-shirts and stuff. But I think what the way that I had always heard it was like, unlock your potential today like you know what I'm saying like it's all in you girl you're enough yeah all of those things that we hear even in our Christian camps right but really what it does is the clearest 
place where Esther points to God, the book of Esther, because the book of Esther is probably a lot of your listeners know the name of God is never mentioned, even though his fingerprints are all over it. And this is the primary place where we see his fingerprints is that, you know, God had orchestrated all of this and he had given Esther all that she needed. It wasn't um, that she didn't have what she needed, um, but this wasn't about Esther. Uh, this, this passage is about God. And I think that that was, that was a big turning point in me starting to love the book of Esther is having that realization because the whole book of Esther points to God's work and his desire to include every single one of us in his story. It's not just Esther, it's us. We have all been placed by God in our home, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our workplace, in our church for such a time as this. And and he's put us there. He's orchestrated it. He's, he's working. He's making a place for us in his story. And then as Lynn said, he's giving these, uh, us these places where we can choose obedience mm-hmm. so that we can bring his kingdom into our world. And, um, and sometimes that's big stuff like going to the king that Esther did. And sometimes it's just the daily little things. It's texting a friend that's in a hard place and saying, Hey, how are you doing today? It's taking a meal to an elderly neighbor that's struggling. It's, you know, it's doing those little things. It's, it's spending time with your child when really you feel like the to-do list is calling. It is, it is the little things. And, um, those things don't necessarily make it onto mugs and t-shirts, but they are, um, they're, they're what matter to God. Absolutely. And I think too, when we, when we, uh, act in those big ways, but in those small ways, those small ways have way more ability to bring us peace into just our momentary, the momentary, you know, pieces of our day. Like, uh, last, you know, yesterday evening, oh my goodness, my, my kids were kind of falling apart. Dad, dad just left to go out of town to like, for his dream to drive to Alaska. I don't, I don't love and have dreams about, you know, driving 3000 miles to do something in a car (laughs) in a really short period of time. Um, but you know, he does. And, and I just wanted to kind of brush past some of that and just be like, oh, you guys, fine. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. You know, I need, I have stuff I need to do, but I decided, no, we're going to go get movie snacks. We're going to go, we're going to sit and watch Pinocchio. We're going to, you know, and we, we made some decisions about, you know, I had to decide like, am I just going to tidy up the house and do the things I feel like I need to do to be ready for Monday? Or am I going to reach in and, you know, be there emotionally for my kids? Which one is going to better prepare me for the week having emotionally settled kids or a clean house? Mm. Well, my housekeeper came this morning, so I have a clean house now and emotionally settled kids. Like God just kind of brought it all together. And, um, I think that just the example of, um, of just, uh, being there in, especially those small things, it's just huge. So, yes. Ladies, this has just been so delightful. Thank you for having us. We've enjoyed it. We always enjoy time with you, Jenny. 
I was about to say, and big shout out to Jenny because we were talking to her friend Angie the other day, and um, she was saying that you enjoyed doing the launch team. And Lynn said, "Well, there would have been no launch team without Jenny, so we're real <laughs> thankful." <laughs> oh, we're thankful and, for you and your oh, heart. Well, thank you, and to everyone yeah. on the launch team, anyone that's written an Amazon review, like massive thank you. They are so beautiful and well written, and just beautiful, just gorgeous. And yes. if you are thinking about have hosting a Bible study in your home or at your church, or this is such a good study and it's going to open up conversation it's going to be a place of peace and healing for anyone that touches this study so can you please each uh share with people how they can follow you on your journey sure well first you can find all of the details for esther um, including how to join us for our online study at the turn of the new year in 2023. Um, yeah, we're excited. I'm um, sharing that, so yay. Okay. <laughs> yay. Uh, you can learn all about that at estherbookstudy.com. Um, there's also a, um, the first week there is free. You know, you kind of want to test drive it. Is this for me? Or is it true that this isn't the same old, same old about Esther? Um, go check it out at estherbookstudy.com. And then I hang out mostly at, at, um, on Instagram at Lynn Cowell. And I'm on Instagram too at Amy Dome Carroll, which is A-M-Y-D-O-H-M-C-A-R-R-O-L-L. Or you can go to my website, amycarroll.org. And uh, both of you have done lots of training for writers and Amy is a speaking coach. And um, so there's, there's all kinds of other things if you go to their websites and you can connect into their other books as well. So thanks again so much for, for being on the show, friends. Thank, Thank you, you Jenny. Jenny. Thank you again to Lynn and Amy for your beautiful unfolding of the story of Esther. I think their sharing of the listen, feel, do, speak process will enhance your understanding of this queen from scripture as well as help you find peace in the living God as you slow down and take the time to use this four-step process in your life. Next week, stay tuned as I'll be sharing a deep dive into Esther 414, since we truly are created for such a time as this. Thank you for leaning in and learning with me. You've been listening to the Refuge Podcast, where we cultivate our faith in the shelter of God's word.